One of the most beautiful ways to say in Scripture what that song was just saying is Romans chapter 5, verse number 8. But God committeth His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us to death even when we didn't love Him. That's a wonderful truth. And, um, you know, I'm probably more nervous than the guys who are taking orals this semester have been uh, sitting across the desk from Brother Hauk and I. So I'm going to talk to you for just a minute and let the Spirit of the Lord calm my nerves just a, a little bit. But while I'm doing that, take your Bibles and turn with me, please, if you would, in the Word of God to Acts chapter number 26. And we'll begin reading there in just a moment. But before we do, I just want to share some things with you, um, just things that I'm able to be involved in as a faculty member here. And I am excited to be here. I love being here. I was asked today if I would thought that the Lord may uh, ever lead us back into the mission field or somewhere else at some point. And my answer was, I, I don't believe so. Uh, there's enough to do here to keep us busy for the rest of our lives. And my, my desire and my goal is to help you uh, to know the will of God and do it. I don't want you just to know the will of God for your life. I want to help you and assist you in completing and doing what God has specifically created you to do. And uh, we'll talk some about that in, in the message this morning. But I have the privilege of not only teaching in the, some of the Bible courses and missions courses, and I'm enjoying that, but also I'm able to work with Joshua Camp some. And I believe, uh, is Brother Reggie going to speak or have something? Is that at the end? today. Uh, Brother Brother Reggie Williams will uh, be showing a video that the student body created. I'm really excited about that. I mean, the guys knocked it out of the park, uh, introducing the theme for Joshua Camp. And uh, we want you to be excited about it. We need counselors. It's an opportunity to make an internal investment. It costs you some financing and uh, maybe the loss of some job time to come out and be a part of Joshua Camps. But I promise you, uh, the eternal dividends will far outweigh any amount of money you can make during those two weeks. Uh, and I just was speaking to someone this week who came to watch one of the baseball games with a, a school that had came from um, Las Vegas who made a connection during Joshua Camps. And one of our student body members was there to support this young person and had been through a difficult time. So you are able to make lifetime connections uh, with young people that they will never forget. And there's not very many other opportunities to do that. So please make sure that you're paying attention at the end when Brother Williams comes to present that and give some consideration to giving of your time for Joshua Camps. Uh, the other thing is that I'm really excited about is California for Christ. And Pastor Chapel introduced that and spoke with about it some during the spiritual leadership conference a few weeks back. He, he brought some material and handed it out and gave it to you during the chapel. And then last week we had a church planning conference week where that was emphasized throughout the entire week. And I want you to know the purpose uh, for the California for Christ initiative is to equip churches statewide in developing soul winning programs and training in personal evangelism. It's also to establish new churches in all 58 counties of California and to engage local churches in church planning and awareness of legislation in things that would threaten our religious liberties. And so I'm, I'm more excited about um, that California church plan initiative than I am most anything. Here's why. As someone who spent time on the foreign field, I understand the importance that we continue planting churches domestically. That means here in the States. Uh, we're not getting better and better. We're not ushering in the kingdom. 
Uh, unfortunately, because of, of, of COVID and all that's related with that, uh, we've accelerated the process of the number of churches that are closing here in the States every year. And we cannot and will not continue to send and support missionaries to the ends of the earth if we're not reestablishing and replacing those churches that are closing with new churches here in the States. And so it's very important that you are praying about that. And uh, we're working with some of the student body members, uh, Missionary Prayer Band. How many of you were at Missionary Prayer Band last week, last Thursday? All right, the rest of you are bums, you know, huh? because you missed out on free pizza. And so uh, we had pizza for the Missionary Prayer Band, all of those who came out on a cold night. And I was encouraged to see the students that were there and have been there that would take time on a cold night to come out and pray for 30 minutes. I believe we prayed for the Whipler family going to Finland. Uh, you just heard uh, in chapel about the issue that uh, some of the legislative members there in Finland are facing. Listen, the greatest work we do is prayer work. All the other work is insignificant if we're not asking, to God, asking God to bless it. And so you ought to be a part of the missionary prayer band. Uh, hopefully we'll have some things that come uh, available in the future to expand that ministry uh, and enable us to do more to get involved with the lives of the missionaries that are on the field who are graduates of West Coast Baptist College. Uh, and I want to encourage you to get involved with as much as you can get involved in. I don't mind being busy. Matter of fact, I love it. I, I, if I could get away, Dr. Getch, if I could make it without sleeping, I would not sleep. I don't like to, you know what you get done when you sleep? Nothing. Some people say rest, but I don't even like to rest. If I just, I just want energy. I, I've thought about drinking Red Bulls. Is that what it's called? Red Bulls or something like that. But my wife says if I do, then my heart's going to explode or I'm going to drive everybody crazy because I already have enough energy. And uh, I, I talk fast. When you talk fast with a hillbilly accent, it's difficult for people to understand you. And so a Red Bull would just accelerate that. Uh, so we're just going to pray that I get just the amount of rest that I need so we can keep getting busy for the Lord. Listen, we only have one life to do what we're going to do for the Lord. And none of us know how long that life is. So we don't have one day to waste. Every day must count for the cause of Christ because we're not promised tomorrow. And so I want you to take with your Bibles and stand with me real quick, quickly, please. Acts chapter number 26, begin reading in verse number one. And I want you to pray with me as you're reading there along that the Lord would help me in sharing this message this morning. There's three parts of this passage that I want us to look at. And so it will take uh, reading down through uh, verse 23 to be able to bring these out. But the Bible says in verse number one, Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Then Paul stretched forth the hand and answered for himself. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee touching all the things whereof I'm accused of the Jews. Especially because I know thee to be expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews. Wherefore, I beseech thee to hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among mine own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews. Which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived the Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers. Unto which promise our twelve tribes, instantly serving God day and night, hope to come, for which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. 
And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto the strange cities. Verse 12, whereupon as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightest of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But arise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things and the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Verse number 19, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea, and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. For these causes the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continued unto this day witnessing both the small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. I know that's a lengthy passage, but... Here we are, and, and Paul is in a setting that most of you are familiar with, and he's had the opportunity prior to stand before Festus and give an account for his actions. He's pleaded to go before King Agrippa. He's uh, been given the opportunity now to stand before King Agrippa and present his case uh, to King Agrippa and those who are in the audience. And, and I, I can't help but to read this passage sometimes and think that, uh, that Paul is a camp meeting style preacher. And Dr. Getch, you probably would know more the significance of him raising his hand as an orator during that setting. But if you go back and you look at the first part of Acts chapter 26, there were some words that Paul said that I wonder if King Agrippa thought, oh, no, we're in trouble. I mean, look at what he says. He says, then King Agrippa said unto Paul, thou art permitted to speak. You know what you don't do in a good old southern church? You don't give the floor to somebody and say, you go ahead and say what God wants you to say because you don't know what might get said. And that's what King Agrippa did here with Paul. He said, look, you're permitted. It's your opportunity, Paul. It's time for you to stand up and give an account. And you have permission uh, to begin to state your claim and your case and defend yourself. And then notice what Paul's response was. It said, then Paul stretched forth the hand. And I don't know how he stretched forth the hand. I don't know if it's both hands, if it's one hand, but not just a, a, just a few words after he says he stretched forth the hand. Look at what it says in verse number two. Verse number two, Paul says, I think myself happy. In other words, I don't, it wasn't Paul saying, well, okay, King Agrippa, I'm going to get myself ready for this. I got to get happy. I, I'm in a bad situation. I'm in some hard circumstances. I don't, I don't like the reason that I'm here. So give me a moment to, to get myself worked up for this. No, Paul was already worked up for it. He was already ready for it. And what he was saying, he, he, he stretched forth the head. He said, hey, King Agrippa, I'd be glad to tell you what I'm doing here today. 
You know why he was glad to tell the king what he was doing? Therefore, he knew that in that opportunity with King Agrippa and all those in the audience, he was going to be able to share the gospel with people he may not have had an opportunity to share the gospel with in any other circumstance. And he wanted to make the most of that opportunity. And he was happy. He wasn't ashamed. You think about the theme, you see it all around here, and it says not ashamed, and I'll talk about this some in the message tomorrow. Paul was excited. He was happy to give an account for the reason that he had been arrested and taken prisoner. He wasn't ashamed in the most uh, public setting to speak out for the Christ who he met on the road to Damascus and who had saved him. No, he was ready to give an answer to any man that asketh of the hope that lieth within him. And so Paul stretched forth his hand and he begins to go into his testimony and share all that God had did for him and how that it had happened. And what we see in this, and we're going to look at three other points, but we see in this, in the introduction, is the power of a personal testimony. So many of you wonder, how can I share the gospel? I'm not a, I, I look at some of the people that are on this platform at, at times and I, I talk to Dr. Ketch, I talk to Dr. Rasmussen and I talk to uh, Brother Gabe Rule and Br- Brother Jerry Furso. And although I've seen some amazing things on the mission field and had the opportunity to witness and, and share the gospel and see people get saved, I look at men like this and they're my heroes. And I think, Lord, please let me learn from them. And I don't know what you guys think as you're here. I've, I've already went to some of these men and I've asked them, can I go out with you and make visits? I've been out with Brother John Williams. I've gone out with, with Brother Hauk. And I, I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to do is see how they witness and share the gospel. And you know what? I, I see different ways that they do it. But there's one thing in common that I've noticed about every one of us and all of these men. We all have a personal testimony to share. And how we came to know Lord Jesus Christ as our own personal Savior. And you can argue with me as much as you want to about science and history and other aspects that people want to argue about. But there's one argument you'll never win with me. I know exactly what Christ did when he saved me. And I know how he changed my life. I know I was a sinner and I was on my way to hell. And I had the evidence to back that up just like Paul had. My evidence wasn't the evidence of self-righteousness as Paul's was. But there was evidence to support that I was a sinner on my way to hell. And then when I met the Lord Jesus Christ and put my faith and trust in Him as my Savior, I was saved, gloriously saved. And He put me on a new path and gave me a work to do as Paul shares here. And so what you see in the first introduction is you see Paul explaining who he was. Luke chapter 18 and verses 11 through 14. You can look the passage up if you want. But there it says the Pharisee is speaking of not Paul, but a certain Pharisee. It says the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess and the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather uh, than the other for everyone that exalted himself shall be abased and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. The Pharisee that is in this passage was the Pharisee that Paul had became. He was the self-righteous Pharisee that is here. Paul Paul said of himself, look in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. Paul said, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I am more. 
circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So here again, in another instance, Paul is simply sharing his own personal testimony and telling people who he was before he met Jesus and explaining who, who Jesus made him after he put his faith and trust in Christ. You know, there's a power of the personal testimony when you're witnessing and you're sharing the gospel. Nobody can argue with you how God changed your life. And here Paul is, is, is taking time to, to build his case as he shares his personal testimony with King Agrippa. And that leads Paul up uh, to where he mentions in verse number 12 uh, his, his, his interaction with Christ. And look what it says in verse 12 of our text. It says, Whereupon as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest. And here, here again, we'll see this phrase in just a moment, a second time. This is why I think Paul is one of them can't meet and kind of preachers. He gets there and he says in verse number 13 at midday, and then notice there's a comma there before the next phrase, and there's a capital O there. I don't think that Paul stood before King, I think he went through his personal testimony to tell him who he used to be as quickly as he could so he could get to the point to tell King Agrippa who he was who the Lord had made him, who he had became because of the power of the gospel in his life. And he says in verse number 13, at midday, and then he says, oh, king, I, I believe he exclaimed that point. I believe he began to tear up. I believe he began to get emotional as he thought about all that the Lord had done for him and how he had changed his life. And he, he rehearses there. I saw in the way a light uh, from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me. And when the, uh, and when them which journeyed with me in verse 14. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the prick. There's several things we can see in this, this passage. The first thing I want you to see is Paul's heavenly call. Paul's heavenly call. The introduction of him leading up to explaining how he received this call from heaven to know the Lord Jesus Christ as his own personal Savior. You look at the passage and he talks about, and you can go back uh, to Acts chapter 9 for the sake of time. We're not going to go back to Acts 9 where uh, Paul's conversion is recorded. I mean, look and compare it with this scripture. But he says that he's on his way to Damascus. He's on the road to Damascus to persecute the church. And at that time, the Lord appeared to him. And he said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? One thing we learn about that is when we persecute the church or when the church is persecuted, is Christ is also being persecuted. And we see that because Paul was saying, I'm not persecuting you, Lord. In fact, Paul was thinking, God, I'm serving you. The chief priests have commissioned me to go to Damascus and to put these Christians in prison. I'm serving you, Lord. And the Lord says, no, 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 Paul, you're not. He says, you're kicking against the pricks. And I, I tried to find something to use to illustrate this. I wasn't able to find something adequately. But what he's referring to was how they would use the oxen that time to farm. And they'd have a long staff with a, a sharp point on the end. And as the farmer was behind the ox and the ox was plowing the rows to make sure the rows were straight and it stayed in line like it was supposed to, they would use this ox goad, this long staff with a pointed end to prick the ox and give it direction. And as the ox was pricked, if the ox didn't kick back against it, it gave the ox clear direction and how it should plow the rows and kept the rows straight and no one was harmed. But if the ox was stubborn, 
which oftentimes oxes are. And it kicked back and it drove its hind leg back in rebellion against the farmer's action of pricking it. The goad would actually penetrate the flesh of the animal and enter into the hind part of it and cause it harm. And the Lord is saying to Paul, I've tried to convict you. Whether it was the conviction uh, that comes naturally uh, of the creator and the creation that we see, whether it was the conviction of another Christian like Stephen, who he had saw, or if it was some other way, we don't know exactly what the conviction was that was in Paul's life specifically that the Lord is referring to. But he's saying, Paul, I'm, you're lost. Paul, you believe you're saved. You believe that you're serving me and you're doing what's right, but you're not. And I'm trying to convince you that you're not and you're fighting against it and you're only harming yourself. The only hurt that is coming to anyone is you. You're kicking against the pricks. Stop. I want to help you. I want to lead you. I want to give you direction. These pricks that I'm putting in your life are not to harm you. It's not to, to take something from you, but it's to give you clear direction in the way that I want you to go. And the first direction for Paul was to recognize his self-righteousness wasn't sufficient for his salvation. And he had to put his faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone to be saved. And so here's that heavenly call. And notice something about this, this heavenly call that's really interesting in this passage. In verse number uh, uh, 14, he says, And when we were, and what's the next word? All. <clears throat> in other words, when they're on the road to Damascus, this, this bright light shined about them, and this voice came from heaven, and everyone who was with Paul fell to the ground. It says it right there in verse 14, We were all fallen to the earth. Then notice what's next. It says, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue. And then it says in verse uh, number, or at the end of verse 14, the Lord spoke to him directly. In verse 15, he says, and I said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. So here all of these people are traveling. We don't know how many people were in the band that was traveling with Paul, but they all saw the light. They all heard a sound, but there was only one person who understood what was being said. And you could be sitting here in chapel, and some of you have. Some of you have been here, and you're a senior this year, and you've sat in chapel after chapel after chapel, and you've heard message after message after message, and God has continued to prick your heart. And I, and I don't want to be mean here. Some of you come in late to chapel because you don't want to be pricked any longer. Some of you are late for classes. Some of you are doing things that you know you shouldn't be doing. Because you're, you're fighting against that prick. And God has been dealing with you and speaking to you and trying to show you that you're lost and undone. And even in Bible college that you're going to go to hell if you continue to live the way you live and trust in whatever it is that you're trusting in. And you're fighting against those pricks and you're missing out on God's best for your life. And I don't know why you're fighting against those pricks. But as I'm here and I'm speaking and there's a room full of college students here, God is speaking to someone individually. He, he speaks to every one of us individually in a crowd like this. And just like we see in this illustration, as, as he speaks through his spirit and through his word, there's someone's heart that's being convicted message after message after message that you need to be saved and you need to deal with that. You don't need to put that off. Uh, my wife, if she was here, she could share her testimony. I, I was 19 when I was saved. She was 
uh, uh, 22, I believe. I'm, I'm trying to remember. The week after she was born, her family took her to vacation Bible school. She grew up in church all of her life. I had been saved, called to preach, and was in Bible college when she finally stopped fighting against the pricks in her life and came forward and got saved. And she had fought against those pricks for so long. But if she could testify and tell you the peace that she has now when she stopped kicking against those pricks. And see, when we look at Paul's testimony, he was kicking against God's convicting work in his heart that he needed to know Christ as Savior. There's a heavenly call. Look at the next thing we see here quickly. Not only was there a heavenly call, <clears throat> but notice in verse number 16, in the Lord's uh, conversation with Paul, after convincing Paul that Paul had been persecuting Christ as he persecuted the church, and uh, Paul stopped fighting against those pricks, and at some point had, had surrendered to the Lord's uh, leading in his life to be saved. He, he's fallen to the ground, and notice in verse 16, the Lord says, it's speaking to Paul, but rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee, <clears throat> excuse me, for this purpose to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in the which will appear unto thee. So there's a heavenly call. Then there's also a heavenly purpose. You see, the Lord didn't show up that day on the road to Damascus to save Paul and then just send him back uh, to doing what he was doing before. He had a greater purpose for Paul's life. Paul thought he was living for a good purpose as he was living for the church and he was fulfilling the commission of those chief priests to persecute the church and imprison uh, those who were worshiping Christ. But now the Lord says, Paul, get up. You're saved. This is settled. Now it's time for you to do what I want you to do for your life. I have a purpose for you. And he tells him that purpose is simple. I want you to tell everybody everything about what has taken place here today and everything that I'm going to show you along the way. And it goes back to your personal testimony. Do you know that there's a, that every single person in here who knows Christ as Savior and those who the Lord is still pricking today to be saved has a heavenly purpose? Every single one of you. God has a purpose for you to tell every person you come in contact with what the Lord has done for you and what the Lord is doing for you. We don't just speak of the things that have happened in the past, but God is doing great things for us today. I'm more excited than I've ever been, Dr. Getz, to be in the Lord's work. I see the potential that is here. When I was introduced, I didn't come up to the platform and say that I thought we could turn the world upside down because I wanted applause. I really believe we can. I believe that your generation is the first generation in several generations that are, are, are tired of the status quo Christian life and who want to do something to change what we're seeing taking place around the world. And I believe that God will use each and every one of you to do that if you'll understand what your heavenly purpose is. Everybody looks at God's will and God's purpose as if it's something out there in the great uh, far reaches of the, uh, of the fifth dimension somewhere. I don't know what people think. But I found out that God's will and purpose for my life is just to wake up every day and do all I can do in that day to serve the Lord. And tell somebody what Jesus has done for me and what Jesus is doing for me. And as I've done that and given my best effort to do that in my Christian walk day after day after day, I've never had to question if I was in God's will. 
I've never had to question if I was doing what the Lord wanted me to do. The Lord made those things clear and given me direction. But it was as I fulfilled my heavenly purpose. You see, there's a progression because the last thing we want to look at is not just the heavenly call, which was to be saved, not just the heavenly purpose, which was the work that the Lord was calling Paul to do and giving him to give his life and spend his life. But then the third thing was the heavenly vision. Look at what he says. I told you again, he would use that phrase, O King Agrippa. He says in verse number 19, whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. So Paul not only had a heavenly call, he not only had a heavenly purpose, he had a heavenly vision. He, he didn't just have a purpose in doing what the Lord told him specifically that he wanted him to do, but Paul had a vision of what God could do with his life. It was a vision that he knew came from the Lord. He, Paul thought about, if I just fulfill my purpose, if I just do what the Lord has given me to do, then I can fulfill this vision that God has given to me as well. A work that I know is not of man. It's not of those chief priests. It's something that God has given me personally to do with my life. And notice where it says that Paul began doing those things. He said in verse number 20, but showed first unto them of Damascus. Now there's a sequence here of things, and I don't think it's a sequential order. In other words, it, does, it doesn't mean that Paul started at Damascus, then went to Jerusalem, and then throughout the coast of Judea, and then to the Gentiles. It's given to us, I believe, in this order, if we look at other scriptures that, where Paul talks about where he's been as a body of work of all the places that Paul had preached. But it's interesting, isn't it, that Paul begins in Damascus and ends with the Gentiles. Where did the Lord tell Paul he wanted him to go? Or what did he want him to do? His purpose was to go to the Gentiles and preach the gospel to them. He was the apostle to the Gentiles, but he started in Damascus. You see, the heavenly vision, Paul was able to see what God was going to do with him someday and start preparing for it today. And you're here and you're in Lancaster. And one of the great things that I love about being a part of a local church ministry is all the opportunities you have for what God has for you someday to prepare for here in this church today. Some of you talk about, well, there's just nothing for me to do. Come by my office, go by Dr. Rasmussen's office or any of the other faculty members. I promise you, we have something for you to do. There's more to do here than we have people to do it. If we double the student body, we would double the amount of work that needs to be done. But some of you do not see the opportunities that are afforded to you to prepare for what God has called you to do someday today. And therefore, you're missing out on God's vision for your life. Paul did get to the point where he preached for the Gentiles, but he started on the road to Damascus. I believe in all of my heart. As, 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 well, let me share this with you. John Phillips said this about Paul. Paul used here a deliberate figure of speech when he says, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. This figure of speech is known as taponosis or a demeaning, a deliberate understatement, the lesson of a thing in order to increase its intensity. Paul was far more than merely not disobedient. He flung himself wholeheartedly into the new cause. He gave himself wholly to the glorious one who now owned all the passion of his heart, all the greatness of his mind, and all the purpose of his will. In other words, when, the, when, when Paul understood, when he answered the heavenly call, when he, when he understood there was a purpose, a heavenly purpose for his life, and he saw the heavenly vision that God had given him for the work that he wanted to do, Paul poured him, his whole self into it. 
He didn't hold anything back. Some of you are still holding back. And you're not going to do what God wants you to do someday if you're not doing what God wants you to do right now today. God is not the God of tomorrow in the sense that He wants you to wait to do something. He wants you doing things now. I honestly believe in all of my heart that I am doing what God intended me to do from the day I got saved. I don't know, Dr. Rasmus, I haven't shared this with you. But I wanted to do what I'm doing right now the day I got saved when I didn't even know what this was. I really didn't, Dr. Getch. Just when I got saved, I knew that I wanted to give my life to telling people what the Lord had done for me and helping other people to know Him and helping train other people to do the same thing. And I didn't even know what that was. And here I am today doing it. 24 years later. But you know what I've done all along the way? I answered the heavenly call. I gave my life to, to Jesus. I was saved. And each and every day I, I got up and I did everything I could do to fulfill the heavenly purpose. And I kept my eyes on God's heavenly vision. And now I find myself here today doing exactly what the Lord intended me to do with my life. Some of you are going to miss out on that. And here's why. Because you're going to continue to fight against those pricks. You're not going to get saved because of some reason of embarrassment or pride. Or you're not going to take the opportunities that God has given you here at West Coast Baptist College and more importantly, Lancaster Baptist Church to serve and fulfill the heavenly purpose. Therefore, you will not be able to say with Paul, I have not disobeyed the heavenly vision. It all starts with your salvation. Then it's the sanctification. And then surrender. If you want to know what the Lord wants you to do with your life, first of all, you have to be saved. Then let me tell you what He wants you to do. He wants you to tell as many people as you can tell that He saved you. And then as you do that, His will and His path will be clear. You won't have to question. If you're a mission student, you won't have to wonder what country to go to. If you're a pastor or a church planner, you won't have to worry about what church to start or what city to go to. The problem that most of us have in knowing what God's will is for us tomorrow is we're not doing what God wants us to do today. And if you'll get that settled, everything else will be clear. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Stand to your feet. We're going to pray. And Dr. Gates will, will come to close out invitation. But I want to challenge you. If you're here and you're fighting against those pricks, it doesn't matter to me if you're a freshman or a senior or if, if you're none of those things. If you've been convicted in your heart that you're not saved, you need to stop putting that off. I used the testimony of my wife and how she, would, she put that off until she finally was so miserable she couldn't. And then one day uh, she spoke to a friend and she told her, you need to get that settled. And Erica said, I'll, get, I'll do it on Sunday when, when I get to church. And she said, you don't know if you'll live till Sunday. So my wife in an exam room at the doctor's office where she's working went in by herself and prayed and asked the Lord to save her. It's really that simple. 
But you have to determine to stop fighting against those pricks. Then are you fulfilling God's purpose for your life? Are you telling everyone that you can tell what the Lord has done for you? And what He's doing in your life now? And then do you know that God has a vision for your life? Something, a special work that He wants you to do. That if you'll obey Him, He'll reveal it to you in His time.